Welcome to the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 141. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend of our lovely little podcast with our global audience. People listening all over the planet and maybe listening outside of the planet. One can only dream, right? Can you imagine? We have a... Some interesting ground to cover here. A lot of competitions that may not have all that in common with a bit of a hodgepodge, which is kind of the podcast here in general. I can tell you that in the business end, we'll be talking to Kevin Hatchard, who uh, many of you will recognize his voice, very distinctive, works on the Bundesliga World Feed. I always wanted to talk to Kevin because I listen to Talk Sport. He's on shows like the Trans, not Trans Europe Express. Yeah, it is the Trans Europe Express. It's also a name of a Kraftwerk song. So that's always near and dear to me. And he is a, a UK-based journalist who goes above and beyond to know the world game, covering it in Germany and the Netherlands and Spain and with an eye on the United States. We're going to have a discussion specifically in Germany about Gio Reyna. What's going on there? He has a big game coming up Tuesday in the Champions League. Hopefully he gets in there. We'll get an idea if he will. We'll also take a look at that Bundesliga race and talk about uh, the Liverpool-Manchester United game, which everyone's talking about for good reason. I'll discuss that here shortly as well. In stoppage time, we'll have a little preview of the CONCACAF Champions League. And we'll talk about Ted Lasso, which is going to premiere here on March the 15th. And we'll talk about what Jim Curtin said. Is it, is it a problem for U.S. coaches? Is it causing a problem in the United Kingdom for American coaches? I'll let you know. Make sure you check out the Soccer OG on my YouTube page, Max Bretos. We got you covered. Let's get going. We got a long way to go. Short time to get there. and I was singing the praises, waxing poetically of the job that Eric Ten Hag did and Manchester United. Winning the Carabao Cup, creeping up on the leaders in the Premier League over the last three or four months, I maybe lost a game. Winning everywhere uh, in the FA Cup, in uh, knocking out Barcelona in the Europa League. I, I, the sky was the limit. And then they played Liverpool over the weekend. Played okay in the first half, and then the second half undid so much good work, right? Six goals allowed in that second half. It was Manchester United tapping out, and we have heard everything and anything from the English media about what this means. How much should we look at it? It's, it really is as compelling as it gets. And Kevin Hatchard is going to be joining us here. I'll get his thoughts about it, because... You want to give Manchester United the benefit of the doubt and give them a reprieve. They've been playing every midweek, every weekend for all of 2023 and many of the weeks in 2022. They had a bad half. Surely we can forgive them for that, right? Surely that doesn't wash away everything that has happened prior here that looks so impressive. I just don't know, though, because we've never seen a half that bad. I mean, it rewrote the history books about worst ever losses. I mean, we don't see, I mean, Bournemouth had that one bad loss earlier in the season, but even the bottom teams don't lose like that. They don't. This was the hottest team on the planet with some of the hottest players. And I would always be the first person to say, don't look too much into it. It's one bad result. But 7-0, 7-0. 
hard not to uh, ignore, hard to ignore what we saw uh, on that day at Anfield. And some people are saying, yep, Liverpool have just showed how Manchester United can be figured out. Uh, Some said it, it was such a bad loss that this is probably the beginning where Manchester United will come off the boil. And they were, I mean, they were buzzing. They were on fire. And they have a lot of games coming up. I mean, they knocked out Barcelona. Uh, look at some of the results. Uh, beat F, beat West Ham in the FA Cup. Beat Newcastle. Beat Leicester. Beat Leeds. Tied Leeds in a game they should have won. Beat Crystal Palace. Beat Nottingham Forest in the EFL Cup. Uh, advanced through uh, the FA Cup. Um, really, I'm looking for, I don't think there was a defeat in 2023 other than the Arsenal game on January 22nd. They ripped through it, mostly wins. And now this. So many guys played so poorly. And Bruno Fernandes is one that's in the crosshairs as well for his behavior. And everyone says he shouldn't be the captain. And again, I don't want to be, have a knee-jerk reaction and say, okay, this was a unique circumstance. Things came off the rails. But, I mean, it was really bad. I mean, he was behaving like a child. And it was our awful optics. So, I mean, Manchester United is the most compelling watch. I said it last week. That doesn't change. And now we have to tune in to see what they are going to do as a response to 7-0. They have the Europa League coming up. On Thursday, first leg against Real Betis. Sunday, they're at home against Southampton. So that's the good news. They're at home. They need uh, to fix this. Their Premier League hopes have been dashed. That ain't going to happen. But they still have to focus on top four. And now we'll find out the medal of Eric Ten Hag. And I wonder if he was really critical of the players afterwards because they've been so good. Do you sit there and go, guys, I know it got away. I I find it hard to believe he would. I feel he had to rip into them. 7-0. If that game kept going, it would have, they would have kept scoring. Man United were deer in headlights times 10. So, I don't know. I, again, absolutely fascinating. And Manchester United have proven they're the, the, the team to uh, keep an eye on. Neymar, his season's done. PSG have uh, a game against Bayern coming up on Wednesday. I think they're done, and this really doesn't help. And with Neymar out, you know, this has not been great for Neymar in his time for PSG. I really start thinking about Lionel Messi. And everyone says he's going to re-up for PSG. I'm like, why? I mean, what? what? Especially if they get knocked out. I mean, they're not. They're going to beat Bayern on, away with Neymar out. Who, he hasn't played in the last few weeks, granted. But uh, that is a very, that becomes this huge fixture as well. And it may happen by the time many of you listen to this podcast. But all these discussions that he might be coming into Miami and Mike Ryan, who works for the Levitard show, uh, apparently has some good leads. And it seems because he's in Miami, seems like Messi to enter Miami more than ever is going to happen. PSG played Nantes over the weekend, Nantes scored twice. They're, 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 uh, they've extended their lead in Ligue 1, but that's not what they're all about, right? Another very compelling story. Champions League will be here. We're going to talk about Dortmund. They are the hottest team on the planet. (laughs) Ten straight wins in all competitions. They have a goal lead in the aggregate. They travel to Stamford Bridge. Chelsea won over the weekend over Leeds. Will they 
be able to build off of that. I get the feeling they, they got something in them. And they've played well against Dortmund. It got away from them. That was one of the better Chelsea performances. My question is, we'll see Gio Reyna. And I'll wait to the business end when we talk to Kevin there. Benfica with a two-goal edge over Bruges. Bayern PSG, one-goal aggregate for Bayern. Milan have a one-goal aggregate. They travel to Tottenham Hotspur. So all those games are tightly contested. The relegation picture in Premier League now, very, very tight. Bournemouth, last place. Southampton, one. They have 21 points. Everton, one point ahead of them at 18th. Leeds, out of the relegation zone. Same points as Everton. West Ham at 23 points. One point ahead of Leeds and Everton. Uh, I don't know about Leeds, man. <laughs> I just, I don't feel comfortable that that's going to happen. So, lots of things happening there in Europe. Uh, the English game, once again, grabbing the attention. Not much to report from La Liga. Barcelona won. It was a bit of a, a dull encounter. Real Madrid drew against Betis. It wasn't a bad game, but now Real Madrid, we'll see when they reconvene against Liverpool, what awaits us there. Should be really interesting. I know we talked a lot about MLS, and I don't want to dwell too much on it. We'll talk a little bit about the MLS teams in CONCACAF Champions League coming up in uh, stoppage time. But a hats off to St. Louis, uh, the, the newest team. They had their home opener at City Park, 22,500 seats. They won it over Charlotte. And an unbelievable image with the entire stadium being a TIFO, holding up little banners, all in red. Truly breathtaking. And that brings up a practical question. A lot of people are debating about it, about the original teams from Major League Soccer and how they lag in attendance and success. And all these new clubs are inheriting the space. St. Louis looks like they're going to do it. I mean, they have a bit of a, a makeshift squad. I think they'll get ambitious and bring in players. Clearly, they're in a marketplace that digs the sport. We were told that over and over again. And man, did that, that public come out with flying colors, literally. So... Another new club, and there was an interesting article with Paul Tenorio and Don Garber, and they're talking about adding a 30th team. Well, you know, and uh, uh, he says it's the, whoever comes in is going to pay more than the $325 million expansion fee, and they're talking $500 million, half a billion dollars. So, you know, we've heard San Diego, we've heard Las Vegas, but, you know, a big chunk of change, and why wouldn't you... Would, add 32 more teams after that and get to 32 if it's 500 million a pop. It's a, uh, it's a big stream of income. And prior to the Apple TV stuff, it was the mainstream of income for major league soccer, but St. Louis was great. Apple TV. Again, I've been part of it called uh, the LAFC Portland game. Uh, we will, we will continue. I'll do LAFC New England. Then I'll be hitting the road after that. Won't be back in LA for a bit. That's fine. I've been looking forward to doing that. Uh, by the way, New England looking at some good young players coming through. So a lot to be excited about with regards to Major League Soccer. But without question, it was St. Louis uh, and what they were able to do. Now, getting back quickly to, to Lionel Messi and Inter-Miami, you know, David Beckham was the guy. And then Lorenzo Insigne doubled the highest payroll uh, by making $14 million, doubled it. What do they pay Messi and, and what do they pay him with is the question. Whatever it is, it's probably worth it. And I think with Apple TV in your corner, you find a way to make it happen uh, beyond just Inter-Miami. 
but it feels like he's happening. He's 36 years old in June. And, you know, he names his price. If it's just about money, there's a Saudi club out there <laughs> that would pay him twice, three times what he'll probably make here. And you can't compete with that. But is it about the money? Is it about the money? And Lionel Messi loves Miami. I'm sure he wants to get close to retiring. And I think Inter-Miami can make make good with other parts to sweeten the pot. So, again, I don't know where to begin and end with everything we talk about. But there is just so much going on. We, uh, we, we talked about the UEFA Champions League. We will talk about the CONCACAF Champions League in stoppage time. A little bit about Ted Lasso and how it's affecting American coaches. But coming up next... Kevin Hatchard joins me in the business end to talk about Gio Reyna, the Bundesliga, Liverpool, Man United, and more. Let's go. We're back here on the Soccer OG Time now for the business end. As we do from time to time, we jump across the pond because we want to get the very best guests. And this next gentleman, I've grown to be a very big fan of. Uh, Kevin Hatchard, who, who works with Talk Sport, who does, can we call it the world feed of the Bundesliga? Is that fair? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's so exactly we, what it yeah, is. Yeah, we we get you here. I, we, I heard you with the Bayern Stuttgart game, and then also uh, uh, with Sky Sports. But initially, when I would love to have talked to you and wax poetic on this great sport, is a UK-based uh, soccer personality who goes above and beyond to familiarize himself or, or become a fan of every other league. So I'd listen to you on uh, Trans Europe Express on Talk Sport or shows of yeah. that of that ilk. And you would equally talk about the Premier League, the Bundesliga, the Dutch League, and everything. And that I the, the fact that that's really important to me made me gravitate towards you because I try to do that. It's impossible to watch everything, but boy, I, I get the feeling you give it a really good, a really good effort. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad job for a start. To, <laughs> it's to not. kind of watch a lot of football uh, and get paid for it. But yeah, it's a lot of work. You know, I can't lie about that. You know, and you know this, um, you know, during the season, you are a social ghost. You know, you do disappear. <laughs> so if anybody wants to see you during the season, good luck with that. So, you know, there's an element of, of I mean, sacrifice is a very strong word, but, you know, there's an element there where there are things you might want to do socially or with the kids or whatever, and you can't because obviously you have to watch things or do things or whatever. But once you get past that, yeah, it, it's it's great fun. I, I think you tend to find as well it's layer upon layer upon layer. So the longer you do it for, you know, you, you will know a club or a league or what have you much, much better. So you then can add that kind of historical element to it. You know, later on, I'll be doing um, Chelsea against Borussia Dortmund for UEFA. And uh, I've watched Chelsea for a long, long time. I've worked for the club. Uh, I've done, you know, many games on Chelsea TV. Dortmund, I've watched them develop for, you know, a decade and a half now. So all of the kind of, it, it's not just knowing what's going on at the time. It's then after a while being able to link it back to that kind of historical element as well and it gives you context so it's a challenge keeping across everything you know there were a few hours yesterday just catching up with all the leagues but i get the kids involved they watch all the highlights and all the the reruns and all of that wait so, get out of here really they, they'll, yeah they'll yeah 100%. Watch. that's a yeah. charmed life right there kevin because my son will roll his eyes and 
walk out of there as quickly as it started with regards to, hey, sit down here, <laughs> sit down. We're going to watch the uh, the Lazio Salernitana highlights. And he's like, oh, I'll pass, Dad. Yeah, yeah. No, they they uh, they snuggled up for Paris Saint Germain against Nantes. Brilliant. Yesterday. So uh, so yeah, they really enjoy it there. But I haven't kind of pushed the football angle with them at all. But they both play. Um, they both really enjoy it. They both watch. They've watched the Bundesliga highlight show for years. So they probably know that league in a way better than the Premier League, which is kind of weird for them. But they do. Uh, they're both Liverpool fans, so they very much enjoyed Sunday. <laughs> I was going to mention that in there. So, yeah. I, oh, I we're talking. We're talking really... about Sunday at some point. Oh, we'll yes, certainly get we to that. Be. That's the 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 main course but, of the of the sport right now. But look, I I think they've that's been a, a kind of nice byproduct, really, that they watch lots of different leagues. They're into lots of different games. We go and watch a lot of live stuff. We go and see England a lot of Wembley. Uh, we've been to a lot of games there because Wembley's not far from here. Uh, we went to a lot of games at the Women's Euros, so that was good fun too. We've seen women's FA Cup final. So, yeah, they, they, they've they kind of got into it probably by osmosis uh, and uh, they enjoy it. Yeah, it's great. Well, I, I love how you said how it gave you context because when I, I started in this business, which was somewhere in the mid-90s, and here in the United States where there's no real coverage of the sport, I kind of fell into it. And then I was working at Fox Sports World, which became Fox Soccer Channel. As we, I, I was being exposed to it all for the first time, and they gave us every league, and I was just mesmerized. I was like going to Willy Wonka's factory and finding out the Bundesliga, and go, "Whoa, why do they call it Schalke 04? Then you'd go to the the French league. How do you present this Auxerre? And where? What part of the country? And this just being over not overwhelmed it's not the right word but just hit with all this information which was so compelling and slowly but surely becoming an expert it was very it was very satisfying so for me discovering these leagues and sports i would compare it to like when someone would get under the hood of a car and fix it yeah that kind of satisfaction <laughs> which i i hear it in your voice and i was just so drawn because you you i could hear the fan equally there whether they're talking about chelsea or the Bundesliga, which I, you know, I, I know some people, so many people who work it, and the, the love affair with that league is so strong when they cover it. And I had a taste of it too. And I, I remember my first uh, dabble was when Kaiser Slautern were winning it with uh, Otto Rehagel, and I, I just remember yeah, yeah. that team so clearly. But that information and just how you, you draw it in, and and uh, it, it helps your work. But it's just, I think I can speak on your behalf. It's just something that. You enjoy being in the in your in your memory bank, something that you can lean into that you enjoy putting there in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, it's the process. It's it's you know, you watch games, but that's only part of it. Really, it comes down to stories. Anything we do comes down to what's the story, why is it interesting? what's the kind of uh, story behind the people you're commentating on? Because you know, that's when it really gets interesting. You know, a player is not just a number, not just a position, not just a set of stats. A player is uh, a guy with different motivations, different career arcs. I mean, yours with Kimmich, I think, is a great example, actually, going from the weekend's call against Stuttgart, because there's a guy that was dropped by Stuttgart a decade ago, and he carries that with him to an extent in a positive way because he will say himself, I was told I was too small. I was told I was too weak. 
I was told that I didn't have enough pace. I wasn't going to make it. And he's carried all that rejection with him and it's made him the player he is now. And it's all those little things that you can see how good a player is now, but how did they get there? And there are, you know, they might have hobbies that are interesting. They might have family things that are interesting. They might have a sister that's a, you know, a javelin thrower or whatever, you know, they're all the little things that make the thing come to life, I think. And that's what you're always aiming for. And it's like anything, you know, I think humans want to know stuff. And I think it's fun when you know stuff people don't necessarily <laughs> know. There's a bit of ego in there as well. Oh, I think of course. we're all like that. Yeah, I think we're all like that. It's like, ah, oh, well, actually this. And so, yeah, that all fuels it. So, yeah, it's great fun. I know that feeling when you're, you're doing your research, and you find this nugget. And you're like, I cannot wait to convey this over the air. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so-and-so is the nephew of, I think there was, a, there was one, I did a, an MLS game and the Portland Timbers player's aunt, I think it was the aunt or distant cousin, was Queen Latifah. And I go, well, that's making the oh, broadcast. Amazing. <laughs> that's that's, that's making the broadcast. Yes. I, I, but I, it I, brings people in. It brings it viewers in. Because yeah. they go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And then they have what you do because they can go to the bar or the pub or the party or whatever and say, did you know such and such, you know, uh, is related to Queen Latifah? And they go, wow, I didn't know that. So, yeah, all that stuff is great. And it's and it's about context and it's about kind of finding the right times to put all that stuff in. And I think as well, you can deal with quite hard subjects as well as long as you do it in the right way i mean again i, I talk about kimmich it sounds like all, all i ever talk about is yours with kimmich but actually a couple of weeks ago uh Bayern played away at gladback and he'd had a day off training because uh, a great friend of his tim lorbinger who was a pole vaulter for germany uh sadly passed away he's been he had uh cancer and had been suffering that for a long while and Kimmich uh, had the day off training and released a very, very sweet statement um, talking about how Lorbinger had effectively saved his career, really, because Kimmich, when he was younger, used to get lots of, when he was at Leipzig, used to get lots of injuries, used to find it really difficult to train without pain, that kind of thing. Lorbinger, after he'd been a pole vaulter, was a fitness coach. And so we worked really hard uh, with Kimmich above and beyond to kind of get him to a place where he could train without pain, play without pain, all of that stuff. And they then became very good friends as a result of that. And there's loads of pictures of Kimmich and his partner with Lorbinger and his family and all that stuff. So I kind of wrestled with it and thought, is this something I should say in a broadcast? And I thought, yeah, it is, because I think it's a nice reflection of Lorbinger, who he was as a person. And Kimmich, and yes. I think, yeah, and a nice yeah. reflection of Kimmich. And again, that's not a trivia thing, so it's a different category. It's not something that you would go, oh, did you know? It, it's more, uh, this is part of his story, and this has been a big part of his story this week. So that kind of, you know, it's bad. Again, it's, it's a journalism thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. anybody who does this job, you are a journalist and you're effectively balancing where the story is. Yeah. And I'm, glad, I'm very glad you shared it here. And uh, there is enough ties that bind to make it a very important story that helps describe Kimmich. But that, it's such an incredible job. And I think that process of figuring out what to share, where's the right time to share it is is very important and but as we go along at you as you go along you figure out your 
you 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 know when's the right time and maybe something i'll shed this here maybe not bring it up but yeah. uh it's it's all part of it but it's it ain't, I, I really i really enjoy the process and i love hearing you kind of describe it um i i maybe a good jumping point here is is the bundesliga uh and i wanted to talk a little bit in particular about geo rain and dorbin and as you said you're gonna be calling that game we'll see if he is able to resurface in some capacity on that on that team but this is a dortmund squad that has won 10 in a row and that's a big part of the story and i'd love to start about the 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 race because it it's diminished the bundesliga a bit when you when you when people argue about the bundesliga go well i'm not going to tune in byron's going to win it again and they do it and i know that has a an effect and and we all want to see a compelling race which we've seen in many of the other leagues during that byron dominance uh, the Bayern story is very is very compelling in its own right because of that dominance. But uh, it's been it's been so long that I think people have been waiting. We've had some moments where some clubs have popped in here. To me, and you watch a lot more Bundesliga than I do. It, it feels, although it was a little tighter a few weeks ago with Union Berlin and Leipzig within touch, and now it's Dortmund. It feels like at least we'll get it into the spring with a, a good race now does it does it mean and it would appear Dorbin might be the only pursuer at this point um there's five teams within seven points but it would feel like if, if there's any team that could push him it would be Dortmund do you think that they could continue this form and at the very least give Byron a run for their money I hope so I think what's interesting about this race is that it kind of came from nowhere in the sense that I did Dortmund's last game of 2022, and that was away at Borussia Mönchengladbach, and they were they were dreadful, really, and they lost, and they just lost at Wolfsburg the game before that, and you felt that that might be it because they were nine points off. That was at the turn of the year, and they found their form. They haven't been brilliant, you know. They they've won some really tight games, and Gio Reyna was a big part of that. Scored a late winner against Augsburg, late winner against Mainz. And they've toughed it out. They found a way to win. And, you know, you look on Friday, the game I did against Leipzig. I thought Leipzig were the better team for, for big swathes of that game. If Leipzig take their chances, it's a very, very different game. And it needed some heroic defending from Schlotterbeck at the end. It needed some important saves from Alexander Meyer, the backup goalkeeper. And so we are where we are. You know, we've got only 11 games to go. They're level on points. And they play each other on April the 1st. And that's going to be an enormous game. And you would love as a neutral for it to get that far. I think Bayern are aware that they need a title race. I think Bayern are aware that actually, obviously they want to win the league. There's no question about that. But I think they're aware that if they didn't win the league, it's not a terrible thing for them in the long run. And it's not a terrible thing for the league. I think we've been waiting for a while for teams to kind of hunt Bayern down in a pack. I think that hasn't happened before for a while, but I think what you're going to end up with, I do think Bayern will win the league. I, I, I do think they will. I think they've got, uh, <laughs> me and Yulia Simic, my co-commentator at the weekend, were saying their bench is ridiculous. They brought on Mane, Zane, Gnabry, and you Not just fair. think, who can do that? You know, and, and we said in commentary, you know, I, I asked Yulia from a from a player's perspective, if you've worked so hard for an hour and then you see those guys coming on, it's soul destroying because you think, it sure oh, is. I've got to do the whole thing again. 
and 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 nobody else can really do that. Dortmund are getting there with the options that they have. Uh, I do like the depth they've got in in attacking positions, and they've got some quality at centre back now as well. You know, you can bring on Matt Hummels for the last few minutes, make a back three. You can you can do that, and they've 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 done that pretty well in the last couple of games. Did it against Hoffenheim, got a one nil. Did it against Leipzig at the weekend. So so look, they're getting there. They're getting there, but the difference is. Bayern can drop 80 million euro on a player and Dortmund can't really, you know, they can do it in chunks and try and buy good young players like Adiemi and what have you, but they can't spend at the level that Bayern can. So if Bayern were to not win the league this season, I would expect Bayern to do some serious work in the transfer market. Right. And as they've done in the past, they sometimes pluck those guys from Dortmund that they've been so savvy in developing, which uh, is, is part is, Par for the course, certainly in the Bundesliga. And you touched on the fact that you like the Dortmund depth a little better than maybe in years past, especially in the attacking end. And you mentioned Adeyemi, who's uh, fighting to get back to full fitness. And this is where I, I would love to ask the Gio Reyna question, because we're here in American pod and we, we, we've, it's the newest pastime here, Kevin. We follow these Americans. If you lived here, and you you probably get a taste of it on our social media. It's really, it can be very annoying where we follow these American players because we've never had it before. And Gio Reyna yeah. is this compelling figure coming off the World Cup where he had a bit of, he did have, didn't have a bit. He had a run-in with uh, the coach, Greg Berhalter. And yeah. he gets back to Dortmund. He comes off the bench and scores these goals. And we're like, Eureka, he's back. We're going to see this great Gio Reyna. And then Dortmund, uh, and I was I was very interesting to say that they haven't been as dominant because uh, a lot of the narrative here is there Dortmund's unstoppable, ten straight. But there's been these results where they've had some good fortune, and that usually runs out at some point. But Gio Reyna was coming off the bench, and then there's these some discussions about okay, he's still not 100 percent fit, which people have been hearing for a long time. And then he would come off the bench a bit in the last few games. He's on the bench, doesn't come off of it. And the narrative has changed a bit that he's maybe down the pecking order because of these excellent attacking options. I mean, it's not apples to apples. It's usually, okay, Marco Royce, who would play that position, Julian Brandt, those wide players, having career seasons. Um, we had Adeyemi, who's now injured. You Obviously, Holler wouldn't be in competition for those moments, neither Anthony Modest, but maybe Gio, you could be creative and get a an, an, another attacking player in there. And then now Jamie Bino-Gittens is also kind of pushed ahead of him. So uh, for someone who covers the league, we would like to know. Now, uh, some folks are, are are under the belief, and we'll, we'll know it probably after the fact people listen to this pod, will he get back into the squad? Will he make, get some minutes against Chelsea in this key Champions League second leg? But how do you, do you, do you see it for this perspective? Is it somebody who is a victim of the success of Borussia Dortmund, or is it maybe a little more stylistic where he may not fit in what Aiden Terzic is doing? How do you see it? Well, I think the first thing is the fitness thing. And I think Gio has been very, very unlucky with injury. Uh, you know, he's had injuries that have kept him out for a long time. He's come back, he's had setbacks and he's still a very young guy. I think it's very easy to forget that this is a guy that was scoring brilliant goals at 17. You know, he's been around a while now and he's picked up 
you know, a fair few of these injuries. So that's the first thing. Second thing is you're absolutely right. Julian Brandt's playing as consistently as I've seen him play. And he's one of my favourite players. And it's great to see him deliver week on week on week on week and deliver what he needs to without the ball. It was a kind of running joke for a while that he never used to get booked. He went something like 170 games without picking up a yellow card. Amazing. Which suggests to me he's not working hard enough without the ball. (laughs) So, you know, he's changed that. He's picked up a couple of yellow cards this season and he is tackling and he is working hard and he is doubling back. So he's doing everything that Edin Terzic would expect him to do. Marco Royce is also, well, he's the captain and he's playing well. So he's going to lock up one of those spots. So it's then difficult for Gio to to get in that starting 11 because there are players who are ahead of him in terms of what they've done previously, ahead of him maybe in terms of the overall package right now. But I think where Gio can be successful between now and the end of the season is an impact player. And we've seen that, you know, we've seen him score a couple of vital goals. He, he's mega talented. You know, that's that's beyond doubt. You know, technically, I really like him. Uh, he scored some brilliant goals, strikes the ball beautifully. I think it's just with him, rhythm, and and just being ready to affect the game when you come on. And so I don't think it's a bad thing for his development for to, to have to reach that level to get there. Um, nobody's going to hand him a starting spot. And I think that's a good thing. I, I think we have to bear in mind everything that's happened off the field. And, you know, that is a, an enormous debate. And I understand why. One of the things, and I've said this on social media, and I, and I do believe this, is that one of the things I felt was underreported or certainly not considered enough was the family tragedy that family has had. Yeah, you know, 100%. Gia lost a brother. They lost a son. And... Are they therefore going to be hugely protective of Geo as a result of that? Yeah, I think they are. That's not me justifying what they did. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You cannot do what they did. Does it give some context to it? Absolutely. So, look, he's had all that going on in the background. The World Cup would have been hugely disappointing for him. Did he respond in the right way? You know, that's for others to judge. But he's got to put all that behind him now and he could be part of a very, very exciting Dortmund season because they're still in the DFB Pokal. They're still in the Champions League. Uh, although by the time, you know, by the time people yeah. want, listen to this, maybe they won't be. But look, they're they're having a good season and he'll be part of it. Oh yeah, and it's been great for the Bundesliga to have multiple teams still in the Champions League and what is it, are there four? And, and, and finding success with Eintracht in the Europa League, uh, it's a league that I, 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 it felt like it may have dropped off the back wheel of the Premier League and La Liga, but man, closing in again, which, which is great because especially with all this, these last few months with the Premier League and the the spending with Chelsea and so many clubs where it feels like there's this push away from the rest of the pack. But we like, I like the pack together. I'm sure you do as well. Uh, we'll see if they're able to keep in touch. Uh, I don't know if it's the right question to ask, but I mean, just coming off Gio Reyna and as we said, we're, we're always keeping tabs on Americans there. And, you know, Jesse Marsh was at at Leipzig and uh, at Red Bull Salzburg. Um, didn't really succeed at Leeds. But we also have several Americans that 
in the case of Christian Pulisic, started at Dortmund. Gio Reyna is there. Uh, Kevin Paredes at, at Wolfsburg. Uh, we had a short-lived run there with Ricardo Pepe. Uh, a thought about uh, did it, did it has it surprised you to see how Americans coaching and playing wise have kind of broken through in Europe? Because again, this is a very new phenomenon for us, and we're all very excited about it. But you know, there's things that you could see where, all right, we've got to pay a little more attention to what's happening in the United States. And maybe we include Canada in there when we talk about someone like Alfonso Davies. Yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised. I, I think, you know, there have been good American players and interesting American coaches for a while. And I think there's all they have to deal with is probably the wrong phrase, but they have to be aware of the interest in them. You know, there's going to be uh, a lot of hype around those players. So I always think of Josh Sargent as as one. Now, Josh seems a great kid and uh, he's a hardworking player. I, I wonder if he wasn't American, whether the hype around him would have been the same. And I suspect it wouldn't have been. No, nope. you're right. I, I, I think there were expectations of him that were not realistic. So I think in the Premier League, for example, at Norwich, in a poor team, they lost a lot of games. I think people were maybe expecting him to score a lot of goals. And I never saw that happening because I don't think he's there yet. He may get there in the fullness of time. I, I don't think he was there yet. And if you look at his time at Werder Bremen, he was never a regular goal scorer there either. He was a hard, he's a coach's dream. The coach will tell him what to do. He'll do it. Tactically, he's very aware, very responsible. Does he score a lot of goals? No, he doesn't. And, and that consistency may come, it may not. So he's a good example, I think, of where you get hype that's not warranted at the time. However... You do get players that deal with it incredibly well. Tyler Adams, I love. I think he's brilliant. I, I I could listen to him all day. I love the bravado. I love the intelligence. I love the enthusiasm. I think he's a really good footballer. I, I think he can play in a number of positions. I, I like him very, very much. Um, I like Christian a lot. I, I, I like watching him play. Again, he's so unlucky with injury. Uh, and it's very very difficult to get any kind of rhythm when you have those especially those muscle injuries it's really really hard i'd like to see him go somewhere where he's one of the first names on the team sheet because i think he's at the point of his career where he needs that and it's hard for a player to do that it's really hard for a player to do that because you want to play in the big tournaments you want to play for the big prizes but if you're not playing kind of wonder what the point is to some extent so i think his next move is going to be very very important because if he gets it wrong and he ends up on a bench again somewhere else that's not great for him i'd like to see him go somewhere where he's going to play yeah and christian is really this glowing point because many of the american players you could describe as hardworking, industrious um train well and the technical qualities are getting better, but many of them don't have it. But then you have Christian Pulisic, who does possess that. And the injuries have derailed it a little, have derailed it pretty significantly. But then you see these glimpses. It's crazy to think that this one it may just be a rumor for Christian Pulisic's next destination is Real Madrid, which doesn't sound like it's going to solve that problem. But I mean, we're 
it's such a dilemma because you want to be, he's gotten a taste of the Champions League. He's had a chance of, to lift it. And I, I would never tell a player not to go to Real Madrid or if it was Manchester United, which I think was another rumor for a hot minute. But if you were being 100% honest, it would be, it'd have to be like, I don't know. I would, I would repeat what you just said and say, look, let's, let's get some games. Let's be the guy. Let's go yeah. there and... Uh, you may not be in the Champions League, but you will compete it and you will be held in such high esteem, whatever club that is. I don't know. We could throw names out, but it it could be you know somewhere in the Bund Spain. It could be in, in the English Premier League. But uh, I, I we all wait for it, and it's it seems like the right move. But there's something tells me the temptation might might pull him somewhere else. Yeah, I mean. The thing is, it, it's tempting to say, I think sometimes we are guilty of always looking at the future. What can they achieve? And we forget what they have achieved. And he's played a lot, you know, for the US. He's been involved in a club that's won the Champions League. He's been involved in a club that's won the Club World Cup. So he has achieved in his career. And it was interesting. I was talking to a former Premier League striker um, late last year. And he was saying it's... It, what you want to do when you get to a certain level is you want to stay there for as long as you can, because once you step down, it's really, really hard to get back. So I get it. He doesn't necessarily have to play for a non champions league club. I think he just needs to play for a club where he's appreciated a bit more. And I think that's a really important move for him. So Real Madrid's, obviously that's glitz and glamour. Obviously they compete for the major trophies, but Vinicius Junior is quite good, I've heard. And you've got Rodrigo. <laughs> yeah, he's okay. Got, yeah, he's all right. Passable. Um, you know, they've got incredibly good players. And, you know, you want players to back themselves and you want somebody like Christian to puff his chest out and say, right, well, okay, well, he's great, but I can be that good and I can get his spot. Of course you want that. But there comes a point where if you've done, you know, three, four seasons and you haven't played more than 20 games in a season, then you start to think, well, is this actually going the way I want it to go? I won't do I won't delve on Chelsea Dortmund, but it's it's so interesting because reports we have video of Christian Pulisic returning to training. And if they can get through the quarterfinals, we'll hopefully see him. If Dortmund advance, then perhaps the Gio Reyna story takes a better turn. But we'll leave that for another day because people will know the result and this will be null and void by the time we yeah. roll around there. Yeah. Uh let's talk uh Liverpool, Manchester United. Uh, Manchester United to me is is the most compelling story on the world stage. And it was a large part because of what Eric Ten Hag and this club was able to do, advancing in the Europa League, knocking out Barcelona, getting through in both cup competitions, winning the Carabao Cup, uh, making a real push for the top two in the Premier League, which uh, ended with a thud on Sunday. There's no question about it. Uh, a, a two-pronged question for you. I mean, how, I mean, on a level of surprising, I mean, when you're watching it, it gets less surprising because it felt like it could have been worse at some point, but how surprising was that result? And how, how does Eric Ten Hag um, deal with that? Because to me, it would seem so unfair to these players who've been so valiant that I, I would think he'd go in there and go, Hey, it was a bad episode. Um, uh, we won't dwell on it. We won't look at this tape. We will we'll push forward. But then it was so bad that it I maybe it would be uh 
counterproductive for him not to really kind of hammer it down a bit. So for that, it's just an incredible sports story because I just I I'm kind of at a loss to how to handle it. I think it's one of those things you had a bad 45 minutes. Okay, well, let's put it behind us. But it was so cataclysmically bad. You almost can't ignore it. Yeah, I think it's about a couple of things. I think, first of all, you do isolate it. It can happen at Anfield, not to that scale generally, but we've seen lots of teams overwhelmed by Liverpool there in the last few years. And it was surprising because Liverpool haven't produced that kind of performance. They've lacked intensity. They've physically been short. Uh, I think organisationally they've been short. And actually they didn't play very well in the first half is the truth of it. Um, I, I think if Rashford takes that chance and United go 1-0 up, they've got Liverpool where they want them and they probably hit them on the counter and probably go on to win the game. So I do think it's important to keep it in context in that regard. However, while he'll want to isolate it, it's just one result. You then look at the behaviours and that would worry me as a coach. You look at the way Bruno Fernandes completely turned it in. You look at the way Luke Shaw, who I think is great as a player, but you look at the way he lost his head entirely. You look at the goalkeeper um, who just seemed to get smaller and smaller and smaller as the game went on. You look at some of the just dreadful mistakes that were made, and that's a big concern. And all it does really is it reminds him and reminds everyone how far they've got to go. He's taken that group a long way in a short space of time. They've always been talented. Talent has never been the issue at Manchester United. You know, people talk about rebuilds and, oh, it'll take this many transfer windows and blah, blah, blah. Spent a huge amount of money in the last few years on that squad. It was never about that. It was about mentality. And it was about organisation. And generally, he's done a great job. Getting rid of Cristiano Ronaldo was a gift, to him, the <laughs> yeah. Ronaldo situation handled very it well was... too. I mean, because really Ronaldo put it, put the foot yeah. in it, and they just counter go. This is what we're going to do. Thank you for your service. We're we're moving on. He couldn't have asked Eric Ten Hag for a better situation because <laughs> he came in. Ronaldo obviously, you know, is a personality. Feels that he should be treated in a certain way. All that stuff. Feels that he should start, but he's no longer a player that in certain styles works. He doesn't work without the ball. We know this. He's never been any different. And him ambling around when the ball's nowhere near him is no good. If you've got an elite coach, you know, Klopp wouldn't sign him. Guardiola, I know they flirted with the idea of Man City, but I'm not sure how that would have worked, to be honest. Um, I'm sure Guardiola would have found a way. But generally... The coaches who have pressing at the heart of everything they do, Ronaldo's not a fit for that. So he knew that wasn't a fit going forward. But how do you get rid of a guy like that? Well, he didn't have to because Ronaldo gave that ridiculous interview. Ronaldo behaved really poorly from preseason, was leaving games early and huffing around and doing all the things that Cristiano Ronaldo does. And from the moment Ten Hag was able to get rid of him, Straight away, then you can say to the rest of the dressing room, right, I got rid of him. If I can get rid of him, I can get rid of you. And from that moment on, he had total authority. And so I think that has been a huge, huge part of what Ten Hag's been able to do this season. And I think the fact that Ronaldo ended up in Saudi Arabia, with all respect to Saudi Arabia and their league, but the fact he ended up there 
and there weren't European clubs willing to pull the trigger, I think tells you a lot. It's it's incredible. I was amazed to see how so many clubs, big and not so big, would be like, we're we're good. We don't we don't want that. Yeah. And, and, and again, I, I think that is so important to see to Eric Ten Hag. And to your point, he was given an out by this interview and his behavior. But generally, these star players are very hard to move because they have the backing, obviously, of the club. They have the backing of the supporters. We've seen it on the club level. We've seen it on the national team level. Usually, those star players kind of get their way till it's untenable. Yeah. And it didn't happen with Man United. Their fortunes changed until Sunday. <laughs> well, do you think? Yeah. Do you feel like they're figured out a little bit? I or I, I get the feeling. I, I I in Ten Hag, I trust. I figure they'll make some adjustments and. They're going to have a great campaign. They already have. Uh, yeah. They certainly have to finish top four. They're not going to win the Premier League, but that they will still recuperate here to a point where the season will be looked back and they'll say, okay, this was good. Now we can move forward. Yeah, I, I, I think what's interesting about them is that uh, I said when he was appointed that I felt he would be successful if he got the authority. And they've given him that. I still have reservations about how that football club is run because <laughs> if you look at it, I'm always slightly skeptical about, about clubs who give the manager that much influence. Now, Ten Hag brought in Anthony, worked with Anthony, brought in Lisandro Martinez. He'd worked with him. He brought in Malassia. He knew him from Dutch football. And, Look, these have all generally worked well, but what if they didn't? If they hadn't worked out and Ten Hag hadn't worked out and you then bring in the next guy and he wants his players and you bring in the next guy and he wants his players. And what you end up with is this Frankenstein's monster of a squad. And this is what they have because they have, it's a bit of Mourinho. um, It's a bit of Solskjaer. It's a mess to be honest. And Ten Hag is making it work and they have made some good signings. Casemiro obviously is a brilliant signing, but that almost kind of happened not by accident, but it was kind of a surprise that he was willing to move on. So I think there's still work for that football club to do in terms of recruitment, in terms of scouting, in terms of lots of different things. But at the moment, they've hit upon a coach that's doing very, very well. Kevin, you're like a top shelf tequila you're very dangerous in my life because i could sit here and talk to you <laughs> <laughs> my wife if she caught ear of you she would hate your guts she goes are you on, how long are you gonna be on it's because yeah. even now i could pivot and go somewhere else but uh <laughs> this was absolutely fantastic uh we appreciate listening to you and for the listeners here of the soccer og i know uh they walk away a, a little more savvy to the world of soccer because of uh uh, your, your your incredible words. So I appreciate you joining us and we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. Have a great time calling uh, these games this week. Cheers, mate. Enjoyed that very much. Oh, likewise. Kevin Hatchard, make sure you check him out. Follow him on, on his social media handles there. We'll get out of the business and we'll be back with stoppage time. We'll head in a preview of the CONCACAF Champions League and we'll talk a little bit about Ted Lasso and the effect he's having on American coaches. That's next. Time now for stoppage time. The CONCACAF Champions League kicks off the round of 16 Tuesday through Thursday. We are heading into a tournament where it all changed a year ago when the Seattle Sounders lifted the trophy in its current format. The first time a Major League Soccer club was able to do that. 
huge news. And that changed the dynamic, that changed the narrative, and probably got Liga Emeki's clubs upset where they want to bring it back. And now a chance for MLS to show that wasn't just a flash in the pan. This is a shift. This is a shift where MLS teams can start winning this. I truly believe that an MLS team, I'm not going to say they're going to win it, but have a very good shot at it in this capacity because the Liga MX teams are not the strongest. You don't have Club America. You don't have Monterrey. You don't have Cruz Azul. You do have Tigres. You have Leon. You have Pachuca. You have Atlas, which are all fine teams. But you... Tigres is the one that obviously scares you. If you look at the Liga MX standings, uh, there is the team at the top, Monterrey. Tigres is second. Chivas is third. Pachuca fourth. Toluca five. America sixth. Atlas, a team that had won two titles there in 14th. And Leon doing okay there in the middle of the pack as well. The MLS teams, you have LAFC and Philadelphia Union, who are still the best two teams in the league, in my opinion, even though Philadelphia lost. You have Orlando City, who had the best, many people believe had the best window, transfer window heading into the new season. Austin FC, who start with Haitian opponents, should win it, and they're playing them in the Dominican Republic. And you have Vancouver as well. So there's a good chance, there's a side of the bracket where the MLS teams should Emerge, uh, LAFC or down in Costa Rica. I, I Really, all the MLS teams should. Austin should get by Violette. Violette, Philly should get by Alianza of El Salvador. Vancouver will be a little trickier against Real España. LAFC should get through. The only one you don't worry about is Orlando against Tigres. But maybe there's a shot. And also remember, these teams have had two games, with the exception of LAFC, to get ready for this competition. So I'm ready for a changing of the guard. And if there is a changing of the guard, fans in Mexico will take notice. And they will see this, this train coming down the tracks. And that said, also, Angel League Soccer has to seize this opportunity to make sure that they grab it with both hands. Uh, it, the chips are in their favor because of the two heavyweights in LAFC and Philadelphia. The odds on money, finals-wise, would be Pachuca and LAFC meeting in the final. And that'd be great. I mean, LAFC did very well in their last uh, Champions League, which was the abbreviated one in 2020. They knocked out Leon. They knocked out Cruz Azul. They locked out Cruz America. And they uh, narrowly lost to Tigres in the final. So they're on one side. And... If they win, chances are they'll play Vancouver. There is the, the right side of the bracket. Atlas is the only Mexican team on that side. You have Philadelphia and Alianza. So really, the semi, the quarterfinal should be LAFC, Vancouver, and then Atlas taking on Philadelphia. I think you get a shot at Philadelphia, LAFC semifinal. The other side, the two best Mexican teams, IMO, will possibly meet in the quarters, Pachuca and Tigres. So it's all set. This is the best when there's an MLS versus League MX. And I don't want to diminish the Central American teams because I think one of them is going to get a run in there, at least win a, uh, a draw somewhere along these lines. 
but uh, get enjoy it. You know, it's a it's an it's a, it's a weird tournament. It takes a while to ramp up, but as we saw with that final with Pumas and Seattle, it can end in a grandstand way. So uh, it's a new day. We also have the League's Cup, and this is a new beginning with the relations between Liga MX and Major League Soccer. I'm going to go and say. I'm going to say the Union win it. Actually, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We'll just leave it. Let's see how it falls out because we never know. I actually spoke to Steve Chirondolo today, LAFC coach, asked him about he, he's traveled down to Central America and he as a player for the U.S. men's national team and he just reminds you it's tough. So you just don't know what to expect. But we'll know a little bit more by the end of this week. Did want to say something about Ted Lasso, uh, Jim Curtin, speaking of the Philadelphia Union. He uh, talked about uh, a great many things. Great interview, again, on The Athletic. And uh, uh, if you don't have a, a, a Pablo Mauro, who was a guest on this podcast a few weeks ago, conducted that interview. And he brought up Ted Lasso. And Jim Curtin says, I, I enjoy the show. And there's things about it I like. But I think it's, he, he's phrased it like this. Has I, do I think it's pushed back uh, American coaches 20 years? Yes. And then he talked about Jesse Marsh and how it, this show came out at the same time he got the job, so very close. And that is a little bit unfortunate because the media kind of used it against him. And that's where the problem is. Uh, the perception of teams in England are not using Ted Lasso against American coaches. And I will also say, from what I understand, people in England aren't really watching Ted Lasso either. That's an American phenomenon. And it is a phenomenon. Season one and two. Uh, season two was a year and a half ago when it debuted. Season three premieres March the 15th. It's won 11 Emmy Awards. It's won Golden Globe Awards. It's won Critic, Critics' Choice Awards, whatever, SAG Award. I don't know what you call them. It's a great show, and it's good for the sport. It gets people interested. I don't know how that translates to someone watching Ted Lasso and say, oh, I'm going to watch MLS, or I'm going to watch the Premier League. It can't hurt. I also will say... Uh, working for Apple TV, Ted Lasso is the baby of that streaming service. It's the most successful show by a long shot that they've ever had. Show or sporting uh, product. or it, it, People are still tuning in. I think when you look at the top shows for Apple TV, it's number two behind Shrinking, the new show with Jason Segal and Harrison Ford. But it's beating all the new shows. People still tune in. I enjoy it. I'm not goo-goo doing backflips over it, but I'm, you know, there's very few things that I do that for four anyway. And I can understand the, the displeasure and I can, the, uh, for Jim Curtin. I can understand the frustration from Jesse Marsh, but I, I can rest assured that English clubs are not going to veer away from American coaches because of Ted Lasso. In fact, we could, also, we could use the example, Southampton, who were in the Premier League, were going to hire Jesse Marsh. They just couldn't agree on the duration of the contract. So he turned it down. But he was, they were going to give him that job. Uh, Southampton doing pretty good, by the way, without him. <laughs> Jesse Marsh is in the, in the mix. Will he get another Premier League job? Probably not. Can he get something in the English Championship or the Bundesliga? Sure. Will Jim Curtin pop up in one of those places? Very likely if he wants the job. I understand he, he wants to be considered for the U.S. men's national team job. And I want to say this about Jim Curtin. He is a delight. He's a great dude. And he's giving us these sound bites. As the media, we, we crave these things. We want people to talk about that freely. And he does. 
I hope they don't gag him and say, stop talking about it, because we need coaches to speak with confidence and say what's on their mind. Respect them for that. Whether the uh, what he said about Ted Lasso was accurate, probably an overreaction. It is what it is. Uh, we will carry on. But enjoy Ted Lasso. I think as a soccer community, we, we have to enjoy Ted Lasso and welcome to Wrexham. And these shows... You know, Ted Lasso began as this weird promotional push for NBC Sports, uh, a fictional character who didn't know about the sport of soccer. Uh, and in the show, remember, he was brought in to lose. So it is, you know, it, it, they handle it very well. There's a media member, you know, Trent Krim, who, who rides him and then becomes his friend, and he wins people over. So it's not apples to apples. But it, was, it started with a promotional push, and I remember seeing that going, I'm not going to watch this show. It's a joke. It's a, this guy and this... But they really put an incredible effort and thought into building the show. They cast it brilliantly. Welcome to Wrexham, the same thing. You had these two endearing owners, and they know how to tell stories, and they made the city and the club part of the story, where Welcome to Wrexham could have four or five more seasons, and people will tune in. I don't know if Ted Lasso will last that long. It's hard for a show like that to do that. Uh, who knows? Who knows? But those shows are successful because of the creators. You know, Brendan Hunt, who's an LAFC season ticket holder, we talked to him from time to time. Those guys built that and made it work. And Jason Sudeikis is an incredible talent. So... <laughs> More power to them. If you have another idea in soccer and someone in streaming service needs it, rock and roll. Let's get it on there. I hope I wasn't too convoluted with everything. I kind of wanted to cover as much as I could. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Kevin. We will be back again with another great guest next week talking about everything in the world of football, football slash soccer, football, whatever you like to call it. I'd like to say hello to everyone on, on our all over the planet. Again, we, I think we're like we're up to 105 countries. Hello to India. Hello, South Africa. Hello, Canada. We're going to get to you. We're going to have a very special guest here very soon uh, to talk to you about. Uh, I have a, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, but I think I've spoken enough. The Soccer OG podcast, where all podcasts can be found. Check out the entire library. They're waiting there for you. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Pretos. We will see you next week. Until then, Palacio Domingo.